0: This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief.
1: welcome to humans of gaming i'm your host drew dixon i am the chief content nerd at love thy nerd and uh we're i'm joined with chris Qualney, our co-host
0: <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah. i'm in ohio living it up in the midwest back in my yeah. old stomping grounds
1: and uh what are you doing in ohio uh
0: visiting some friends hanging out enjoying some cold weather and gloomy skies which never happens in southern california
1: So is that Um, like you actually enjoy it because you don't? I do.
0: Yeah, I miss it. I mean, I miss it in the way of like, oh, it's cool to go visit it and then leave. You know, like I don't think if I were to live here again that I would enjoy it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of depressing. Grass is greener on the other side. Yeah,
1: we actually get more rain in Nashville where I live than Seattle. Like Seattle has this reputation of being like super rainy and stuff, but but we get more rain. Yeah. I think Seattle gets a lot of like drizzly storms and stuff yeah. like that. So it doesn't actually, gotcha. but, but anyway, there will definitely be weeks where the sun hardly comes out at times here. And it's, it's, yeah. it's depressing. We kind of
0: rejoice when that happens in Ventura where we live. Yeah, Like it rained the other day. We had like an actual storm, like a thunderstorm, which never happens. Like literally the first time I think this whole year that we've had like a thunderstorm, And maybe we've had some like little sprinkling and stuff, but
1: we have a very special guest who can tell us about the weather in his part of the country, (laughs) and that's uh Jamie Stegmeier. Hey Jamie, how are you? Hey guys, I'm here in St. Louis. Thank you for having me. Is it rainy there right now? Uh, yeah, it's kind of overcast, a little cold, a little drizzly. Does it do you get a lot of rain in St. Louis? I don't know much about St. Louis. I would say
2: actually, no, I don't, I can't necessarily compare to Nashville, we get a decent amount but it's not, definitely not like, Seattle. it's not constant. It gets very hot and humid in the summer and yeah, in the winter. Do you like living in St. Louis? I visited there and I thought it was a fun city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in a suburb of Virginia and then I moved out here to go to college at, uh, Washington university here and it just felt right. And so I stuck around. So I've been here over half my life now.
1: I remember when we went, we, um, the thing, I don't know why this sticks out to me, but we, Went to this ice cream place that was awesome called uh, Clementine's Naughty and Nice or Nice
2: Creamery. Have you ever been there? Oh yeah, yeah, it's right near me. Yeah, they're they're uh, they make really really good ice cream. And they're they're. Did you try their naughty ice cream or did you stick with the nice? The naughty yeah. is like, has a little bit of alcohol in it.
1: Yeah, I did. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but I did. Nope.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll be Come fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I did. Yeah, and
2: uh, it was good. It was great. I don't know. You know, I'm too old for them to actually card me. I don't know if it's like an amount of alcohol that they actually limit. Like if you're not 21, you can't have it. I can't remember. It's funny. Like, I think they do. I remember getting them
1: asking for my idea to to try it. And, uh, and, but they, then they told me like, it would be impossible to get drunk off of this because you would have so much lactose prior to
0: like you'd <laughs> that, be on the toilet it, faster than you would be able to get
1: drunk right right but then it's funny i was in uh i just we were just talking earlier about how i took this vacation out west to um like the american southwest like arizona and utah and nevada and on our flight i was reading the southwest in-flight magazine you know and uh, they had a profile of St. Louis and they mentioned that ice cream place. And they were talking about how the the owner has like figured out this new, new formula to make her ice cream more boozy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like she figured out how to make some of them like up to like, I want to say like 17 or 20% ABV, you know, alcohol yeah. by volume. Um, so that would be, you know, that would be fairly potent uh,
2: ice cream, I would think. So go check that out. They're in competition here for, I would say, best ice cream with Jenny's ice cream, which is not a St. Louis place, but they're in Columbus where you are, Chris. They
0: are. I, that's crazy. I just saw one the other day.
2: Yeah. You, know, you got to go to Jenny's. We have those in Nashville.
1: Oh, so they're great.
0: like a chain, huh?
1: Yeah. I think what's well, a franchise now? I think it's yeah. just in this kind of this n- side of the world. Uh, so Jamie, you are on the podcast because you've made lots of games. Um, I guess you 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 started along with uh, Alan Stone, started Stonemeyer Games, and you guys have made uh, Euphoria and Viticulture and one of my favorites, Scythe, uh, and and Charterstone recently. Um, yeah, I, well, you tell us what else would people know you you from?
2: Yeah, you've named I think those are, oh and Charterstone. Uh, those four are my designs, and then we've also published. My Little Scythe, uh, most recently between two castles of Batkin Ludwig, and between two cities, of course. Yeah, I was about to say
1: that, and then I was like, "Well, I don't want to correct you. It's your company. <laughs> I'm probably wrong. <laughs> Maybe it is between two castles, and I just thought it was between two cities." <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, how long have you been? How long have you been making games?
2: I started designing games when I was pretty young, like six or seven years old, just for fun. Uh, professionally. Uh, it started with viticulture in 2011 it ended up being published through Kickstarter in 2012 and came out in 2013 and uh, I'm curious how because
1: you obviously have been making games for a while and I guess back then probably it was just like you were into games and it was fun to yeah. do or, or okay and uh, what made you get the idea like oh maybe I could actually like sell these and make something uh, you know maybe maybe even make something of a living out of it
2: well er, early on I I didn't I had no idea that I could make a career out of it. I definitely that that was unforeseen. but um I was fascinated by the concept of Kickstarter unrelated to board games. Um, and then board games started to appear on Kickstarter, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. like this is a way that you know there's a this is a product that you actually need to produce like a minimum print run of. there's there's a, a sunk cost to it. And uh, I started to see this projects do it. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give that a try and see where it goes.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, if I remember correctly, like Viticulture was one of the first kind of, um, you know, fairly substantial Kickstarter success stories for board games. Is that right?
2: At the time? Yeah, there were, I think there were a few, definitely a few bigger hits at the time, but, um, among board games back in like 2012, 2011, yeah, it raised $65,000, which at the time was was a lot for a board game project.
1: Which I think, like, I mean, pro- probably inspired, if I remember correctly, like inspired a lot of people. Now, I mean, there's a new board game on Kickstarter, like, every week. Um, <laughs> every hour. <laughs> every <Yeah>. hour. <laughs> like, I remember I just checked out uh, uh, Tidal Blades, Heroes of the Reef, their their Kickstarter. Yeah. And, like, I mean, that thing that thing's uh, off. was funded within like within the first hour and is now at like, I don't know, like $400,000 or something. Um, so board games have come a long way since that, <laughs> but, but you helped kind of like start that trend, I think, which is kind of cool.
2: Yeah. I, I, I was inspired by guys like Ryan Lockett and tasty minstrel games, but I, I think mm-hmm. I was one of the first to really write about it and write about it in uh, maybe a non preachy way. Like I was very open about mistakes that I had made and I was writing about it so people could avoid those same mistakes.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious, like how did you manage to be successful with viticulture given that like you hadn't published a game prior to that? I mean, I I would have, I would think back then you were something of an unknown quantity. Like how did you get the word out and actually get that project funded?
2: I think there are probably two things that resulted in successful funding. Um, and, And if that project if I launched that same project, the way it looks and the way it's structured today, it probably would not fund at all, but it was yeah. a bit of the stood out back then a little bit and partially because of the timing. Cause there's still a few other mm-hmm. project projects, Sure, but the two main reasons are one, I spent the first two days of the project sending individual personalized emails to everyone I knew, um, asking them to it, it's essentially trying to get them to go to the project page. I wasn't saying, you know, you, you owe me anything. You should do this. I was just, I i would find a reason that they might have a, a good time or a, a make, make them smile by looking at the project page. And they were, it wasn't a mass email. It was individual emails. It was hundreds of emails to friends and family. So you were pouring time and effort into this, like significant amounts of time and effort, I imagine. Right, right. And, and early on in the project, like you said, I was, I was completely unknown. Really, no one knew at all who I was except for my friends and family. And so... <laughs> For people who were organically discovering the project, it made a huge difference for them to see that the project was moving towards funding in those early days um, through these friends and family. And the other reason was for all those backers that were coming in and and friends and family who backed it, within around like 10, 15 minutes of anyone backing the project, I sent them a personalized thank you note by email Mm -hmm. over Kickstarter. And for a lot of people, I think that was the first time they'd ever gotten that type of a response from a creator. It's something that's very difficult to do now with these projects that have, you know, thousands and thousands of backers. It's, it's not possible to do. But when you're getting 10 backers a day, it's it's easily it's definitely possible. And that I think that made a big difference and helped me connect with some people in the board game media who were like, oh, OK, I've never had someone reply to me before. Let's talk more about this. Let's have a let's have a, a chat on Geek Dad or a place like that.
1: Yeah. And that seems to be something that like still is part of your um, what's the word like ethos or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I, when, when I talk about Scythe or, um, or Charterstone, um, you know, kind of, those are the two games that I think you've most recently put out, uh, expansions to or, or released, um, people always talk about how like, oh, like I was on the Facebook group for Charterstone. I had a question and I asked uh, the question and all of a sudden the creator of the j- of the game is answering my question and giving me a pointer here, um, so like you you seem to have always maintained a pretty like open relationship, and and like made yourself available to your community even after your games have, have kind of um, you know experienced tremendous success. So uh, I'm curious like is th- is that something that's always you like just always wanted to be close to the community? Is that just who you are? Like where does that come from?
2: That uh, that was actually the original reason I was fascinated by Kickstarter that I could put a face and a name. To people who shared my excitement for something yeah Um, and so that has definitely carried over throughout everything that i do to run the business it's been tougher to scale that but i still i'm on social media quite a bit every day trying to Connect with people and help them, and help them have a, the best experience that they can with our games. Well, we have uh,
1: another special guest with us, and Chris is going to introduce him yeah. uh, before we we jump in further, deeper into the podcast. here. Well,
0: here's the thing: before I introduce uh, Jared, is can we talk about Fenris yet, Drew? Like, have you started this?
1: I still haven't started. You it. are
0: killing <laughs> me. Like, we literally have Jamie right here.
1: I know. I feel and terrible.
0: We finished it. So Jared and I, like we're in a group together. Um, We play play games pretty much every week. And we finished Fenris a few weeks ago. I lost.
1: I have two excuses. I have two excuses as to why, for why I haven't started it yet. One is that I was just out of town for a week, basically. And then the other is that I feel like my group that I'm trying to get to play rise of Fenris is totally different than yours like your group is all gamer people who are like into board games and play regularly. Like I just started a gaming group for the purpose of playing Rise of Fenris. <laughs> so, I'm trying to like train them. We've probably played like 5 or 6 games, but not every of Scythe, of just the the base game. Um, but not everybody's been able to make it to all 6 of those. And so I'm but like So, yeah, anyway, it's just been – it's been a scheduling thing, but also, like, I'm wanting to make sure they're committed before we start the campaign, which now I think I know they are. And it's been, like – this is a credit to you, Jamie, in a lot of ways, but it's been, like, a huge source of, um, like, uh, what's the word? Personal, like, emotional health for Mm me. Um, Just to have a regular game group uh, that plays – that plays together has been like just increased my like happiness, (laughs) my personal like happiness on a weekly basis uh by a significant margin. So
0: anyway, I'll introduce you. Uh Jared's he like I said, we play games together every week pretty much. And he's also one of LTN's monthly supporters. He helps us do things like this podcast and the articles on our website and going to conventions and our outreach events and Um, Him and I actually a couple weeks ago ran a gaming area at a local convention here, uh, a steampunk fest, which we thought Scythe was pretty appropriate for. Um, Unfortunately, we were off in this random corner where no one knew that we were there. And they put (laughs) us like this room that they had us uh, set up like board games in. It was like a murder room. Like I took a picture of, the entrance to this place you had to go down this set of stairs that was like all just murdery so (laughs) needless to say we didn't have a whole lot of people come over and play games but we had a good time nonetheless i think so anyway here's jared and uh i think he's got a question maybe or just wants to say hi or
2: yeah so thank you very much i appreciate the opportunity uh jamie definitely i'm a big fan of, of your games like chris mentioned uh We've, we've played a, a few of the, the recent campaigns. We've played Charterstone before we played Fenris, and Chris actually did win that one. So both of those experiences were really fun, uh, and I really appreciated basically all, all of your games. Uh, when we talked before, I think the main thing I was really interested in hearing more from you about, Drew mentioned a little bit earlier, the aspect of how involved you are in, in the community via the Facebook groups and things like that. And that kind of led me to check out some of your videos that you post online regularly. So I guess my question is, uh, it sounds like from from your previous answer when you we were talking about the Facebook group, that that's something you intentionally put a lot of effort and focus into. And I guess I just was curious to know if uh, kind of what inspired you to do yeah. that. And thank you for all that. I, I really appreciate what you said about Charterstone and Scythe. And, um, and I'm glad that you jo- you enjoyed the, the YouTube channel. Um, I would say... Yeah. A lot of it. Well, the YouTube channel started with me wanting a place to talk about game design, but I didn't want to be a reviewer because it, I I didn't really want to say, I don't know. It just didn't feel right. As someone who's like in the industry, I didn't want to say those types of things publicly about the games that my peers spend so much time and energy making. (laughs) Um, as, As a gamer, I certainly do have opinions about games. I have games I like or dislike, but And so I've kind of figured out this way of talking about games in a way that I can just focus on the thing that I really like about it. And by putting it on video, I can hopefully have some good conversations with other people about that game or about other games that use similar mechanisms. And it's helpful for me as a as a as a designer to kind of look at games from that angle. Like, what's the what's the most fun thing in this game and what can I learn from it? And maybe I can apply it to a game that I make someday, whether it's that feeling that I get from it or something similar to that actual mechanism. Um, and kind of, I think one thing that you've alluded to, one of the nice side effects of this is that, I don't know, I can't speak for other people, but for me, I am drawn to other designers and publishers who have a genuine love for games in general. And oftentimes I get that impression from other designers and publishers. If they are talking about games other than just their own all the time, I totally respect yeah. that designers, and publishers are excited about their own games. and want to talk about them. But it's just neat to see like games like uh, or guys like James Hudson, who clearly loves games and wants to talk about games a lot.
0: (laughs) Clearly, I love him.
2: And there are many designers about John Gilmore is a designer that I've heard speak very lovingly about other games and all the games that he loves to play. And that just makes me want to dive into their games even more than I already have.
0: I think it's really um, in an age where I think everybody's trying to sell us something Mm. all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's very refreshing to be reminded. I don't want to overstate it, but like it it humanizes you to us, the consumers, Mm -hmm. you know, when you feel the freedom or just the, your natural tendency to just be a person and geek out about this thing that we can all kind of share in. Um, Honestly, like at least for me, that sells more copies than constantly blathering on about your own product. You know, like I'm going to be way more endeared to someone um, when, you know, it just, it builds that trust and rapport. And I think that's really cool. And I I, I don't think the board game industry is just full of like peddlers and people that are trying to, you know, sell their thing or whatever, but there are those specific people, you know, you mentioned James or yourself like that. I think, just seem more down to earth and like, Hey, we could sit around and play a game together. And that's super cool.
1: Yeah. And it seems like, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems like to me that the board game uh, industry is um, somewhat unique in that regard. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, we cover a lot of video games on our site and we do, we have a lot of video game designers on this podcast. Um, Like Jamie, you're probably one of the few, people like designers that's making a living doing this for like a lot of people, even people who make pretty successful games. um, It's not really a a business. It's just kind of like their hobby that they hope maybe makes some, uh, make some money at some point because, Hey, that'd be nice. Um, And maybe they could then quit their day job or whatever. But, um, but it's, it feels like an industry full of hobbyists uh, slash people who are just really passionate Mm -hmm. about it. Um which I think is kind of rare in our like kind of I don't know like hyper capitalistic <laughs> world, you know, uh which which is it sort of makes it like a a refreshing industry to be a part of, I guess. do you feel that way about it? I
2: do, and i i I think sometimes uh people don't realize how true that is that, that there are many designers and publishers, this isn't their full time job. And if it is their full time job, they don't have like a huge team of people. There are very few companies that Mm -hmm. employ over over five employees. Definitely, very few that employ over a dozen. I've heard people refer to talk about Queen Games in this way sometimes, like as if Queen Games is this giant company. But I think they have like four or five people that work there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's it. Yeah. Even on like a, a. for these companies that look big or maybe even act big, they're they're usually very small. And for many of the people that work there, they're volunteers or they're they're getting compensated in games, not money.
1: Thanks so much, Jared, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Appreciate your support. And uh, we do like to ask kind of more personal questions on this podcast to get to know our guests a little bit better, where they come from, that kind of thing. So, Jamie mentioned before that you grew up in Virginia um, and that now you live in St. Louis. Um, yeah. W- w- We've talked before, so we're going to pretend like we haven't. But uh, for the sake of our listeners, uh, was religion a part of your upbringing?
2: What was your 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 upbringing? Yeah, I like? grew up in a a Catholic family. We went to church every week. Um, I feel like my parents tried to raise me with um, Christian values, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, my aunt's a nun. I we have we have religious people who who in, in my family who hmm. work for the the. The church. And I actually ended up working for the Catholic Church as well as my second job after college.
0: Was uh so I know you mentioned earlier, like play you know, making games. I think you said you started when you were like six. Yeah. But like what kind of board games were you playing? Like did your family play with you? Were you playing with friends? Do you have siblings or what was like the game situation like growing up?
2: I, I do have siblings. I have a younger brother, younger sister, and I have some mm-hmm. friends that I definitely played games with. I think it was a combination of friends and family. I, I have good memories of playing monopoly and millborn good
0: memories of playing monopoly
2: yeah we actually had a <laughs> we didn't know any better <laughs> yeah we enjoyed it yeah uh labyrinth scotland yard risk we would play i, I wouldn't play risk with my family but uh we as a yeah. family we definitely played millborn and some other card games um and we yeah we we were the type of family that we 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 did a lot together uh we were talking about earlier we we're talking about a trip to bryce canyon we took a family trip out there we would go camping a lot. We'd play these games mm-hmm. together. We would eat dinner together. Um, not in front of the TV. We would uh, just sit around the, the table and talk. So, um, looking back, like, I'm kind of grateful that my parents did this. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't fully realize how nice it was at the time to have that uh, style of upbringing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's funny how, um, you don't realize as right. a kid how special yeah. those things are. Um, but now, like, now that I have kids and I'm you – know, we were just talking earlier about how I made this trip out to um, to to Bryce Canyon and to Zion and went out to that part of the country uh, out in Utah. Uh, and I got back and I just felt, like, so energized to go out and, like, be in nature <laughs> and those yeah. kind of things, you know? Uh, and just – and I brought back all these memories of my dad taking me backpacking mm-hmm. uh, when I was a kid. Um and uh you know you think well this is just kind of what dads do or whatever at the time but in reality like so few people have that kind of like upbringing where their parents really invest um kind of personal intentional uh time mm-hmm. with their kids and uh yeah it just made me like kind of want to <laughs> like do that stuff with my kids you know um and get out and see the world and those kind of things and board games are a are a huge opportunity to I do I feel that. like I so, had this
0: moment um, when I was I was probably like 19 or 20 and I don't know why, but something happened or I was just thinking about it. And I had this like aha moment of just being super grateful to my parents. And I just remember like calling them up and just thanking them like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry that I was such a turd Mm -hmm. like the whole time I lived (laughs) with you and I wasn't very appreciative, but like looking back and, you know, just pinpointing some of these specific things that, I know it was very intentional on your guys' part and I'm just really appreciative of it. I don't know, did you guys have like an aha moment like that or were you better than me and just thought about it when
2: you were in it? Yeah, I was definitely a turd too. Um <laughs> but I yeah, I think I, I had a couple of aha moments in my twenties and, and some of my thirties too. I still there's certain things ingrained in me that I I didn't I it it has taken some reflection and some aha moments to realize like, even like the camping thing. I, I, my dad would teach me things just by the way that he interacted with nature. He, like if we, if he wanted to make a walking stick and we were out camping, he wouldn't cut it off a living tree. He would find a, a fallen stick and he would Mm -hmm. carve a walking stick out of it. And he was kind of showing me, I didn't realize at the time, but he was kind of showing me like, you gotta, you need to respect nature or or this is the way that I do it. Maybe you can do this too. And I, looking back in my twenties, uh, like that's just ingrained in me now. Like it's yep. not even a conscious thing that I, of course I don't break a, a branch off a tree. I, if I want a walking stick, I find one that's right falling down. And, and that, you know, I, yeah, goes to many other elements of nature, nature too, but things like that. Yeah. That I didn't definitely did not realize at the time that he, that they were imparting upon me.
0: Frankly, it scares me to death about yeah. having children. <laughs> Oh yeah. I don't know if I'm intentional enough or if I'm thoughtful enough to like think through those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Hey, something's going on with Jared's like his mic is muting and unmuting repeatedly. Do you guys hear that? I see it. And I see it visually. Yeah. Are you able to do anything with that, Drew? Yeah. I
1: noticed it too. I tried to, uh, fix it, but whenever I muted, it it just keeps. Jared, if you can
0: hear us, maybe drop out and come back in. I don't know if he can hear us. Oh. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of scares the crap out of me Um, about having kids because I'm just not sure that I'm that thoughtful about you know, and I'm sure like Drew, you can attest to this being that you're the only one here that has kids. Um, but like I'm sure there's plenty of times where you feel inept or like you didn't do that thing right. Or you didn't do that thing oh, yeah. intentional enough, but
1: more often than not, I think, I feel like <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> but that's for sure. But uh, and I don't know that I had an aha moment where I like called my parents and confessed all my sins and, and, <laughs> and thank them for being maybe good this parents. Is the aha moment but, right now. Yeah. I mean, I did have this moment where I was like um, just really thankful for my, my, my both my mom and my dad but particularly my dad for just investing that time and getting me out in the outdoors because um like I could just feel like coming back immediately like I I want to I want to make more time to get out in in, in the world and see our, our nation's national parks and that kind of thing I've, I think I've always been somewhat thankful to my parents but I do I did have this thought of like I should call them and I haven't done that and I need to like uh you know verbalize it and be like we could just uh you for, could just for, like for,
0: awkwardly yeah. pour your heart out right now while we're recording and then just tell them like oh guys did you listen to the latest uh humans a gaming podcast um you might really yeah. enjoy it yeah no maybe not
1: yeah i should do that totally um but uh but yeah so so you grew up catholic jamie and uh and uh you so um have you always, I assume you you practiced it. You actually you weren't just going through the motions like you believed in God and that kind of thing. Like growing up, was it always something you just kind of believed in, or did you have a, come to a moment where it like, oh, this is this is for me, or, or what yeah, was that process question.
2: like? I don't even know if we discussed that one before. Um, I I don't. I I definitely did not question it for a long time, and then I was told to question it. I think going through the. Maybe the first communion process, maybe confirmation. There are two, you know, a couple of different levels in the Catholic Church, and I think both you were told both to food. question it. Yeah, I, th- I think they. Maybe it was my parents. Maybe it was the the church. I mean, they weren't saying, "Jamie, you should question it," but they were saying, <laughs> "This yeah. is a good time for you to actually make a choice about this." And
0: I think that's super cool, though, because I think that's mm. pretty uncommon. I mean, maybe okay. not uncommon in Catholicism, but mm-hmm. certainly uncommon yeah. in like Protestant, Christian, evangelical stuff. Interesting.
2: Yeah. I, I, whoever said it, I wish I could remember now. I, I appreciated that because it was a nice moment for me to step back and say that I choose this faith. Just, this isn't just the thing that I was born into. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I did make that choice and I made that choice again. We had a a great Catholic choice, uh, Catholic church at the Washington university campus. It's a private Mm -hmm. university. So they have every denomination of every church and faith there. Uh, So I kind of got lucky there. Did you guys have good, uh, church experiences in college
1: Yeah, I did in college I think. Um in like growing up, I remember just never caring. Like I went my family went to church and I just <laughs> did not want to be there. And so uh so I wouldn't like I would put my head on the pew in front <laughs> and just try to like fall asleep. Um I just found it incredibly boring. And I don't know if it was actually boring or if I just you know, it was like so self-centered or whatever that I didn't And I didn't want to be there that Mm -hmm. I just refused to pay attention, you know? Um, But that was my experience growing up. But then in college was like the first time I started listening for myself and like sort of exploring. And I don't know that I went to churches. I I didn't really go to churches that encouraged you to like question the faith or like make sure that you believe it necessarily. But I did go to churches Mm -hmm. that encouraged me to read. And so like I grew, I I developed a love for like studying theology, which began the process of me really like looking inward and going like, do I really believe this stuff? Is it really like based in um, like, is there based in, is there h- historical accounts of like of, of this stuff? Oh, sorry, I almost dropped my mic. <laughs> um, almost knocked it off the, the table, but yeah, like is this the stuff based in reality? Is, is there, um, is there philosophical yeah. grounding for all these kinds of things? So,
0: I didn't grow up in the church, Um, like my grandma and grandpa and like some of my aunts and uncles are Catholic. So that was a little bit of my experience, but really it was pretty boring from what I knew of it. Like it was never explained to me. It was just like, oh, I was staying the night with my cousins. You go to church with us on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And it was like, hey, stand up at this time, sit down at this time, say this thing back when they say this. And that was, I didn't really have an understanding of it. Um, then, yeah,
1: I remember. I remember going to Catholic churches with some friends, like in in mm-hmm. middle school or high school, and being totally yeah. confused by like all that stuff. Like when you're just to sit down and stand up, and like whether I was allowed to have yeah. communion. There's a lot of a ritual kind of things. to
0: it. Yeah, which if you know yeah. the tradition of that, can mm-hmm. be really beautiful and meaningful. Yeah. But I think for me, I, I mean you know, that was not a tradition that was passed down to me or anything. So I was just kind of like flying blind. Um, and then I kind of got involved in like a youth group at a, like a Protestant church around like middle school, high school age. And then I, so I kind of was a part of that. And then actually in college, which I didn't really go to college, I was there for like a year and flunked out. Um, but that's kind of when I had my sort of faith crisis where I was like, I don't believe any of this crap. This is crazy. What am I doing? Um, and then I got involved with kind of a a weird church, not weird. That sounds like cultish, but um, a church in my town that they had bought this abandoned elementary school and used that to like meet on Sundays. And then there was actually a group of guys that lived in the school And did so because it was kind of in a bad neighborhood in our town. And so these guys lived there to sort of be like an intentional presence in the community to like serve people and serve the poor and all that kind of stuff. So um, I kind of just got involved with them through like a mutual friend and I ended up living there and just meeting those guys and seeing like actual faith in action instead of just, oh, this is a Sunday thing that we do. It was like, no, we're like, we're actual jesus people that are trying to live this every single day um that was really eye-opening for me um so so yeah i think that was a pretty good experience
1: i didn't know that about you that's interesting so jamie you went to a catholic college is that right No, i went
2: to a private college where they had a a, a pretty big catholic church associated with the campus yeah okay Okay, cool. And you said you worked for the Catholic Church for a while. Is that right? Yeah, I, during college, that was um, my work study job. Was working at, okay. at the Catholic Student Center, and then um, I.
1: And what did you do there? Oh, so
2: w- work study is just like like I was managing calendars and data entry, and like it it wasn't it, it was an like an administrative assistant type thing, a few hours a week. Uh-huh.
0: Um So you weren't like taking people's confessions then, or anything.
2: <laughs> no, no. It wasn't. Whoa, you have to be frocked to do that, it right?
0: Family friendly podcast.
2: <laughs> Is that the right word? I probably misused that. And then uh, it just came with it. I had a, a, a different job. Like after college, I got a job as, at a publishing company that was unrelated to the church at all. And then uh, when that job ended, I was looking for a job and I mentioned it to the priest. I, I continued going to mm-hmm. that same church. Um, and I, I ended up getting a job as the director of operations there. So again, not a religious position, but more administrative.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to ask what that meant. Organizing events and calendar and what, what, what is director of operations? Uh, like? it,
2: it, I'm sure it depends on the, on the job. This particular one meant that I was managing the staff and I was, uh, there was a big fundraising event that I ran. So I was doing some, some marketing fundraising, some development and I was managing the facility itself because they had a, a big a big church right off. I guess it's technically it's on the, the school campus, but I'll, right on the edge of it.
0: So that's interesting. Um, cool. The fundraising thing. So like doing marketing and stuff for that. Do you feel like some of that experience helped you like transition over with like the Kickstarter stuff we were talking about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I've kind of. <laughs> all the jobs that I've had kind of have taught me very specific things yeah. that just happened to lead up into me being a, a fairly effective Kickstarter. Career.
0: It was interesting like, I, I think when happened, you were talking yeah. about that first Kickstarter you did and some of the, some of the steps that you took, like, you know, the personalized messages and like, cause you know, we're a nonprofit and like, I've worked in nonprofit world my entire adult life. And some of those, like <laughs> I could hear some of those kind of fundraising principles because that's such a huge like even with what we're trying to do with LTN is like making sure that it's a very personalized process and it's not just like you know we try to use the word like partner or you know because we want people to know like you're in this with us this isn't just oh the product that Chris and Drew are making or whatever like this is all of us kind of doing this thing together so I it's I'm, I'm connecting the dots I'm just doing it out loud
2: Totally. No. Yeah. I, I, that all those things were instilled in me, both actually working in the church and working as a waiter at restaurants in college or during the summers in college. I learned so much about customer service by doing that. You have
0: to, or you don't get paid. Mm.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's right. What about now? Like, so you said you grew up Catholic and you went, uh, you even worked, worked in the church for a while Uh, where, where are you now uh, at now in terms of your like spiritual life? You still
2: believe you still practice? What does it look like? Um, I'm at a point in, in my life right now where I, I am not actively practicing. Um, but I would say more than ever before in my life, I'm trying to, um, uh, live through my business largely. Um, the, Live the the principles and the, and the beliefs that that I that I grew up with through the Catholic Church. Basically, trying to treat people really well, uh, treat them as I would want to be treated, and act in love when I deal with um, the many customers that we have around the world. Act in act in loving ways to them, even in moments where it's tough to do so. Yeah,
0: those never come um, up with Kickstarter's yeah. or gamers. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I more than ever before, I'm I'm very acutely aware of those things, and I definitely struggle with it. I even though I say I try to, I I struggle with it all the time. But uh, but I think it's a good struggle to have to be aware of.
1: Yeah, what what started you down that path of going like, uh, hey, I really want like I want because you said recently and or maybe more than ever before, mm-hmm. I think is what you said. You're trying to connect those dots between your faith and the principles you learned growing up in in, in the faith to the way you operate your business? Like what started you down that path of like, hey, I really wanna make sure I'm being intentional about the way I lead this business and the way I connect with customers and the way that I do work in the world.
2: That's a great question. And I don't know if I have a specific answer to it cause it wasn't like an yeah. aha moment or anything like that. I, I think it's just mm-hmm. been a slow realization. And I think partially from those times where I, I haven't had very much grace and poise in the way that I dealt with people in public you guys have probably seen a lot of the good things, but there have certainly been some lower moments that I've had that I regret where I Mm. didn't speak to someone with, uh, the love and respect that I think they deserve, despite the way that maybe they were speaking to me. Um, Mm.
1: and
2: so I think I've gone through some of those moments, um, some more defining moments where that happened. And I, uh, later hopefully hopefully soon uh, soon afterwards was able to look back and be like that is not my best self and that's not how i want to treat people in general and this is actually a time in my life where the way that i treat people directly impacts my career sure. and my business and my passion so it's um hmm. i guess it is it is self-serving but it's also hopefully in the end serving other people better yeah
0: there's well. some like uh yeah. You know, which comes first the chicken or the egg? Like is the first primary motivation, "Hey, I want to be good to people." And then, "Hey, the ancillary benefit is the of that is that, you know, they like me or they like my products and they'll buy more stuff." You know? I think that's cool. Like it's a it's right. a it's the byproduct, you know, maybe not the the initial motivation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: It's also a risk though, I think, because like I think, you know, some, obviously there's benefit to good customer service and that kind of thing. Um, But there's also, um, you know, a lot of people I think that would tell you like, you can only do so much good customer service before you need to just like, you know, the the goal is just to get more product out there. And obviously by being available to the communities that, that purchase your games and that kind of thing, like there's always a cost to that, right? Like they're you're, you're giving time to that. That could be given to like putting more products out on the market. Um, so all that to say, like, I think, um, I really admire that. Like just in the sense that I, th- like we talked about a little bit about our, the capitalistic world that we live in, but, um, you know, I think doing good work and being content, um, and just doing good work and being good to people. Um, like there's a million pressures out there in the world that tell you like, don't do that because you need to be out there, you know, doing more, making more, doing the next thing. But I think, um, yeah, I think that's not a very like, for lack of a better word, that's not a very like Christian view of vocation and work.
2: Uh, and it even carries you know? over, in my opinion, beyond customer service uh, to, to, uh, like an example is, I, you guys have seen my games. I, I try to I try to put a lot of value in that box.
0: <laughs> no kidding.
2: <laughs> um, in the game box. Mm-hmm. And that's that stems a lot from me as a gamer. When I open a game, I know the feeling of opening the game and being maybe a little disappointed yeah. in what ends up being in the box. And I also know the feeling of opening the box and being overjoyed by how much stuff or how beautiful the things they put in that box. And so it goes back mm-hmm. to that idea of, treating other people the way that I would hope to be treated through, through the things that we make, not just uh, the, the customer service aspects of
0: it. Well, I think you even going a step further than like components, like you, it seems to me that it's designed into the mechanics of the games as well. Um, We've talked before about Scythe and, you know, we've heard some of your, your thoughts on like spite, you know, the idea of spite in games. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's so evident in in your games that you try to design against some of that or, or try to, I don't know, maybe bring out the best in people as they're playing your games.
2: Yeah, I love positive mm-hmm. player interaction. It's, it's Not in all of my games, but it, I think it's probably the best in Euphoria. But I, I love when you're competing against other people but you have good incentives in the game to work together at times. That feels good to me when that, when that happens, it
0: doesn't feel good in euphoria when you're the one person that didn't help build that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Jared knows Jared will know exactly what I'm talking about. Cause yeah. we just played euphoria a couple weeks ago and oh, yeah. there were four of us playing. One of the guys went to the bathroom <laughs> And the three of us were like, hey, let's build this thing together. And when he came back, he was screwed. And whatever the penalty was, it was like particularly devastating for him. So it was not good. Oh, no. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. I do enjoy that about that game, though, because anytime you see somebody start to build uh, one of the. the what do you call them? Monuments or not monuments. Yeah, but you know, the, markets, the construction site.
2: Yeah.
1: Markets markets when you when you're getting ready to construct a market it's like oh nope i gotta get there right now like i'm going it's on uh yeah but uh yeah that's cool um so jamie you uh mentioned about how you've kind of you're on this uh path of of being more intentional about um you know about applying your faith to the way you you do work but you also mentioned that you're not uh, practicing like actively practicing um your your catholicism or however you want to put that uh, i'd be curious if you might speak to that like what what made you decide i don't want to be involved like with an or like with an organized church yeah <laughs> and this is a safe place like, like we just want to hear your perspective it's not like why aren't you in church <laughs> sending uh, just to the <laughs> i'm just curious to hear your perspective <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah sorry, we have to, it's just, I I signed off on this. Yeah. Um, it, so we, I mentioned the rituals earlier and actually Chris, you mentioned that being a little overwhelmed and confused by the rituals in the Catholic church. And I think there was a certain point a a couple years ago. Um, when I really started to feel, uh, distant from those rituals, Mm -hmm. despite knowing what they mean and what they represent. And despite believing in the things that they represent, the rituals themselves started to feel a little weird to me. Um, and I, I, weird is a bit of it has judgment behind it. I don't. I really don't mean to judge those rituals and people who are still enjoying them. And there's a very good chance that I will return to those rituals someday and embrace them. And when, mm-hmm. I, go, like when I go home for Christmas, I will go to church with my family and uh, those rituals will feel a little bit like home. Like there's a, the, the tradition of them I think has a good place too. But for me personally, on a, on a Sunday to Sunday basis, they started to feel, uh, they didn't, uh, they weren't con- connecting with me as they once did. Like oppressive? In a- okay. What were you going to say there?
1: I was going to ask if they started to feel like somewhat oppressive, like something that you, you had to
2: do, but wasn't as meaningful for you anymore. Uh, was or? Part of it. I, I think like there are lots of, chants and songs and things that we repeat in the catholic church and mm-hmm. like i just found myself saying them like like almost an mm-hmm. out-of-body experience like i would be saying these things no i know what you're saying there. Yeah.
0: I, st- I mean i experience that from There's time to time when you're when it is something that it mm-hmm. it's a ritual like it just becomes yeah i know exactly what you're talking about
2: It's that feeling, and maybe people can relate to this if they're not religious and they're listening to this. If you have you ever like driven home yeah, in a roundly totally. drive every day, and yeah. you you almost almost black out because you're not you don't have right. to like think about it very much. It just you get you just home, you're like, emotions. how did I,
0: so I get it, here? You're
2: starting to feel like that at church.
0: No, that's that's a great <laughs> right? way to explain yeah,
2: exactly. it.
0: And I think you know that yeah. uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. But I do think, I mean, would you say maybe you're in like a, cause you mentioned, you know, more than likely or likely you'll come back to it at some point. Do you kind of feel like you're in a detox right now or something? Like what's that? What's this period like?
2: Yeah, it could be, it could be. Yeah. There, there was really only one period of my life where I, I did not go to church every Sunday and that was because I was Mm -hmm. in Japan studying abroad and and did not have easy access to it. But uh, yeah, from. That, that could definitely be it uh, given how long I've done that on a Sunday. I, how many, how many Sundays right. have been in my life so far? And yeah. so many of them were at the church.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of in a period like that to some degree, like we're still, we're going to a church every Sunday, but we went from being heavily involved in this church, like, like really heavily, like leading lots of different, like leading a community group. And um, I would preach and teach actually at mm-hmm. this church that we're at fairly often, as a lay person, not on staff or anything. Um, and then now we're at this new church that's a lot bigger and we're kind of, for lack of a better word, like not nearly as visible to the church. Uh, and, and we're not serving in any way, but we plan to eventually, I think. But uh, yeah. it's, it's kind of been uh-huh. a good thing. Like I just think we needed the rest. Like I was, yeah, I think, we don't church has always been a big part of my life and I always want it to be, I think I I definitely want it to be, but, uh, but it's been good for us to sort of catch our breath and we have three kids, you know, we just had a baby and, um, like I'm started a new nonprofit ministry with Chris and some friends uh, a few months ago. And like, so there's all, yeah. Yeah. So there's all these balls that I'm juggling in life and, um, sort of realizing like, um, yeah, I do want to serve in the church, but I need, but I need to like sort of recontextualize what that's going to look like for me. And I think so often in life we don't ever stop and recontextualize those things and think about what's appropriate and what is what should this look like. Um, we a lot of times I think churches do a good job of training us to just like throw yourself in a position, <laughs> like jump in and serve in this area, and don't really like think about whether or not that's the right fit
2: uh and so it's it's been good for us to kind of like get yeah just catch your breath you know i've seen it happen in the world of gaming too i've seen friends who maybe came to mm-hmm. game night every week for a long time and then mm-hmm. they just realized they needed that detox like you said uh chris they they needed a little bit of a break so that when they come back to it they feel really rejuvenated and excited about it instead of it being just of just going through the motion absence makes
0: day. the heart grow fonder mm-hmm yeah <laughs> yeah
2: mm-hmm
1: yeah and i think in the church because it's like uh because we can always say like oh this is a this is god's house or whatever this is the people of god gathered um so we can put a lot of like unhealthy um stress and expectation Mm -hmm. on one another are we almost like almost almost like abusive you know like you have to do this because this is the church and like if you're not doing it you must be in sin or something like if you're not actively serving or doing this, that or the other. And uh, in reality, like a lot of times, it's a lot more complex than that. Like we need to hear each other out. Like um, I think anyway, I don't know. Just this conversation got me thinking about how um, I think, cause I've been involved in actually leading churches. I've been a pastor in the past, like sort of made me think back to those moments where I probably put a lot of undue, pressure and didn't love people well because i was like oh it's you know this is the church you got to get in and, and serve and if you're not serving like what you know <clears throat> but in reality it's uh
0: so yeah, jamie have you had it's, it's any truths that. that have shamed you for uh not being at church
2: <laughs> um it, my the 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 priest at the church that i went to he's been a long long time priest there he's um I think he's pretty good at that about um, Mm -hmm. avoiding that. I think he's probably learned the hard way over the years. Um, Nice. Yeah. I remember actually I had a formative moment with him where the the opposite happened. I I accidentally (laughs) shamed him.
0: You shamed a priest. Well done.
2: It was when I was a work. (laughs) Now we got to hear this story before we we go. I, I was a work study student. Um, and I, for some reason, I don't know why I did this, but someone, uh, said hi to him, uh, you know, after church, someone came up and said hi. And I was standing there and it was clear to me that he didn't remember this person's name. And instead of helping him remember this person's name, because he has, so, sure. you know, he knows thousands of people. Um, I, I don't, I was just a stupid kid, but I kind of, I, in right in front of this person and in front of him, I said, oh yeah, you don't actually know her name, do you? Yes. And, oh and we, yeah. It, it, it I don't I don't know what I was thinking but later on he called me out on it and I was like wow you were totally right that was completely uncalled for and completely unhelpful and uh it definitely put things in perspective for me you know we we all do stupid things and hopefully we learn from them and that was one of them that's great yeah yeah that's funny
1: that's cool. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We're, we're almost at an hour mm-hmm. here and we got started late. Yeah. So I want to respect your time, but, uh, but man, yeah. it's been great. It was, talking it was to awesome you. catching
2: with you guys as well. Hopefully the, uh, <laughs> hopefully the recording work this time, we will get to share those with people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to mention something before we go. Um, you mentioned that your, your Stonemeyer games recently published okay. my little scythe and, uh, you sent me, um, you were gracious enough to send me a review copy, but you didn't realize I already owned it when you sent that copy. So uh, I know you guys don't normally do giveaways, but because I already own my little Scythe and you sent me an extra yeah. copy, uh, we want to give away a copy of my little Scythe. So it's really simple. Um, just go share this podcast, um, share about it on Facebook or Twitter or, um, I don't know, uh, snapchat <laughs> just, but just let us know that you shared it or you can rate and review our podcast on itunes or stitcher um and just send us a note that you did that um so let us know that you did and we'll enter you mm-hmm. into a drawing to win that copy of my little scythe um and uh we'll send it to you and you'll love it because i love it and it's awesome it's it's fun game in its, in its own right but it's a fantastic game to play with your kids. So if you have kids, and especially, I think you should consider um, getting in on that drawing. Um, I play it with my daughter pretty regularly. Um, I the first couple times I just you know tried to teach her the game, um, <laughs> but now when we play, she wins pretty pretty regularly. So it's it, she's seven. So um, you know it's the type of game that what I, I guess what I, I'll say what I love about it is that it's a little bit more strategic than your average kids like game that's kind of made with kids in mind so it's 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 a great game for teaching your kids some a bit a bit of higher level strategy without overwhelming them um so um definitely check out my little scythe and join that drawing um and uh oh and go check out everything that we're doing at Love Nerd. go to Nerd.com. um we've got a podcast network with free play podcast uh and and our new comic podcast which is called the pull list So, go check those out, rate and review those on iTunes. And uh, yeah, that's about it for us here.